Good morning. Hey, y'all. Sweet. Uh, I hope you had a good fourth. Uh, I hope that, that, that the fourth of July was at least an opportunity for you to stop to pause and to be thankful for the country that you live in. Uh, I, I don't know that people are always necessarily grateful or thankful for the men and women that have been willing to give their lives, for those that serve us today, uh, be it EMS or whatever service that might be, or our police. Um, it, it's easy for us in this country to forget. It really is. Um, I've had the good fortune to travel the world. I've stood in the killing fields of Cambodia. I know what it's like to literally, to, to look into a mass grave, mass graves. I remember one in particular was marked with 29, over 2,900 people that were slaughtered and killed. One that was 1,800 people that were slaughtered and killed. I know, what, I know what it's like to stand and to look at a tree that literally probably has a three, maybe three and a half foot section that literally is just dark. And you notice it when you walk up. And it's dark because of where soldiers took babies, took them by the feet and beat them up the side of that tree until they were dead. And that didn't happen because of a war with Cambodia and Vietnam or Cambodia and another neighboring country. It happened from the government. And we forget things like that. And so I am extremely grateful. Um, I don't know that I've always been the most patriotic person. I, I think I grew up privileged. And I say privileged, not that I grew up rich. That, that certainly didn't happen. But privileged to live here without understanding the cost and the price that was paid. And certainly in my older age, over the years, I have just come to be so grateful and to be so thankful. So I hope that it was a good opportunity for you, not just to shoot fireworks or just to spend time with family, but it was a time for you to stop and just to be thankful. Um, it's, it's good to be home uh, from Guatemala. Um, I don't say enough about that either. I, I am so sorry. I, I, I guess I always feel like somehow we're bragging, and I don't, I don't like doing that. Um, but just so you know, we built two houses Built two houses in Guatemala. It was awesome. You have no earthly idea what it's like to put the keys in the hand of a family that never dreamed in a million years that they would have a home. Now, it's not a home like ours. It's just, it's just a block structure with about three or four rooms. Uh, three rooms, I guess. I, it, it, it's not a huge thing. They do have running water. Uh, they do have a shower. Um, it has a wood stove on the back. Uh, they don't plug anything in. They don't, they don't have electricity. But yet, when you look in the eyes of those people, they, I mean, they can't believe what they're being blessed with. And so I just wanted you to know that it's good to be home. I've got to talk more about uh, what we do in Guatemala. I've got to give you more information. I'm, I'm terrible at that. And I, I'm sorry. I apologize. And I've got to do a better job because this church does an amazing job um, in Guatemala, what we do to give people a home. Um, people that, again, would never in a million years dream that they would have such a structure. And so that's because of, of your generosity and your willingness to give to those kinds of projects. Now, there's always somebody going to say, what about people here? Oh, man, you have no idea, do you? You really don't. You really don't know what we do. The, the, the thousands of dollars that we give away every year, and I don't get up here and share that because somehow it sounds more like a sales pitch than it does anything else. And that's just me, and I'm sorry. I should be, you know, bragging on Jesus, right? Well, you're not sure either. <laughs> so I think we should, yeah, I think we should probably be bragging on Jesus and going, yay, yay, God, for what you've done. 
one of the things that we do here is that we actually house homeless people here. We do it four times a year. through an organ- We're part of an organization called GAIN, which is Greenville Area Interfaith Hospitality Network. They've changed their name, but I'm still going with GAIN because I'm old and that's all I can remember. So, so we partner with 12 other churches, and what we do is we bring homeless people here. They'll come in on a Sunday night. That's going to be next Sunday night that we're going to start. That's the 14th. And they'll come in on Sunday night, and they will stay here every night, and we will keep them. We will feed them, and we will love them and spend time with them. And then they'll leave early the next Sunday morning, actually, before any of you get on campus. And, and I, I don't, a lot of you don't even know we do things like that. And so we need your help. Uh, it's summertime, and I know what it's like for summertime. People are gone. We need 20 more volunteers to help us to make that happen. And that could mean a number of things. It really, it, honestly, it, it, it's super important for me that we do more than just feed them and give them a place to be, but that we love them. And so sometimes that's just, just what that means. It just means that you hang out with them for a few hours. Um, these are people that are just down and discouraged. They're not what you think. Uh, and their families, uh, we actually house this organization. We actually house families. That means a mom and a dad or a mom or a dad who have children. So we're able to take children off the street as well to give them a place, a safe place to be. And so we just, they're down on their luck. They, they feel like they have lost everything. And they need somebody just to love on them a little bit. And so we have uh, the tables out front. So when you leave today, uh, will you just help me? Will you just say, you know what, I can do a little bit. I, I, can, I can serve somebody. Will you do that? Let's try it one more time. Will you help me? <laughs> I'm not going to, we're just going to stand right here when somebody says, yeah, we're in, Pastor, we're, we're all in. I know that you are, and I do pray that you'll sign up to be able to help these folks. Um, well, we're starting a brand new series today called Mastermind. And so for the next four weeks, what I want to do is take you on the journey that I've been on, I think, for maybe the last 15 years or so. And it's, it's a journey, it's a journey of life change. And when I say life change, it's, it's a journey for me that has brought me an incredible amount of peace and contentment. It, it, it's a journey that has radically changed my life. It's, it's made all the difference in the world in my relationship with Jesus. And so I hope that you'll just, you know, kind of hang with me over the next four weeks. And let me just say right out of the gate that if you want life change, if you want life change, and you're going to have to change the way that you think. If you've struggled with some stinking thinking like I have, if, if you've realized over the years that you are your own worst enemy, if you have realized over the years that, that the, the biggest battles that you face every day are the battles inside your own head. Hello, are y'all out there? I, the, the biggest battles that you face every day are the battles that you face. It is the voices, it is the images, it is the statements that you make over and over and over and over. Most of the time, it's about you. If you've ever struggled like I have, then you don't want to miss these next four weeks as we learn how to to master our minds. And we're going to be learning from what I think is an expert, uh, a guy named the Apostle Paul. We're going to be looking at the beautiful mind of the Apostle Paul. And, and I say beautiful because at the end of his life, if anybody ever showed evidence that he won the battle and knew how to master his mind, it was the Apostle Paul. He didn't start out that way, but he ended up really, really good. And that's one of the things that I love about him. I love what I love about the Bible. And I don't know what your impression of the Bible is, but the Bible is not just a book full of a bunch of heroes. Hello, are you with me? I mean, the Bible is full of people that struggled in their relationship with God, that struggled 
trying to figure out what Christianity is and how to negotiate this relationship. And they're honest, and they put it on the pages of Scripture. And i got to be honest, nobody else would do that. I mean, if you were trying to sell something, you wouldn't tell everybody the bad, would you? You would just wax over with all the good stuff. But the Bible is full of people that were real and showed us their struggles. Look at what Paul said in Romans 7. I love this passage, and you are too. I do not understand what I do. Hello, right out of the gate. Some of y'all go, dude, I'm in. I mean, that that sounds just like, I could have wrote that. I could have wrote that. He said, for what I want to do, I don't do. But I do the thing I hate. Hello, once again, can you raise your hand and say, that's me. For I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And I love that he said, I'm struggling. There is this battle that rages in my mind, things that I want to do and don't do, the things that I, 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 that I know is evil, the very thing that I hate to do is the very thing that I do, and I do it continuously. I keep on doing it. And then he says this. What a, he finishes up with this. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind... I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. I love Paul. Paul was authentic before it was cool to be authentic. Are y'all with me? I mean, he, he was like non-religious in a religious world. Paul stepped onto the scene and said, listen, I bet you struggle just like I do. Here's the raw truth. I loved it because he battled again and again and again. But when life was stacked against him. When he was in a Roman prison, facing death, he said the kinds of things that people would think, you are crazy. He could face death with joy. Listen, nothing else would make sense other than at the end of his life, he learned how to master his mind. That's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. The peace and the life transformation that can come from having a a master of mind. So where do we start? Let's look at the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10. Here's what he said. Though we live in the world, though we live in the world, we don't wage war. I underline that in my notes. We don't wage war as the world does. And just so you know, Paul planted this little church in, in this little nasty Um, sinful city. I mean, this is like a modern-day Las Vegas. Are you with me? And so he planted this little church, and he was there for about 20 months, and everything was going good. And then after he left the church, they started having some struggles with sin. Who are we kidding? They were in an all-out sin war. And can I just be honest? They were losing. And again, is that the kind of thing that you'd really want to put you know, you wouldn't want to put that on a resume, right? I was battling with sin, and I lost most of the time, right? I, I love what one commentator said. He said that they weren't just struggling with a sin, because some of us would raise our hands and say, well, I, my name is Scott, and I happen to struggle with, right? And we got that one sin that we named. There was a commentator that said the church at Corinth had a plethora of sins. I worked a long time to be able to say that. I'm not going to try it again. In other words, for those of you that are from Greer, it means a bunch of sins. That's what that means. Now, how many of you are going, dude, that makes sense to me? 
Because I listen to some of my buddies, some of my spiritual friends, and they go, I have this sin that I struggle with. And you just want to say, you just got one? I got a plethora of sins. <laughs> and so here's the point. Here's the point that I want to make. Right out of the gate, you have to recognize that we are in an all-out sin war. That's the starting place. Then he says this in verse 4. <clears throat> he says the weapons that we fight with are the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. In other words, the weapons that we, that we use aren't of this world because the battle is not of this world. Hello, are you feeling good right now? You're going, huh? Ephesians 6, here's what Paul said in Ephesians 6. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You think it's against flesh and blood. Some of y'all thought it was your neighbors July 4th, didn't you? You said, if, they fight, if one more firecracker goes off, I'm going to go over there and take one of them firecrackers. And I'm going to throw it back in their yard. That's what you were thinking, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have mercy. This sounds scary, doesn't it? I mean, this is the kind of thing that I can't even wrap my brain around this. I know I'm in an all-out sin war, and I don't, I'm not struggling with flesh and blood. I'm struggling with powers and principalities and I'm, I'm fighting this war in a spiritual realm. Is everybody on board? It's okay if you're not. You're thinking, I don't know what this means. So he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. And just so you know, this, this word power, it's a, in the Greek, it's, it's a word that we get our word dynamite from. And it, and it means the explosive, miraculous, divine power of God. Hello, are you feeling good? Somebody spiritual ought to say amen. You don't even know what you're amening about, do you? I just baited you, I'm sorry. Uh, so, and then it said, so the weapons that we fight with have heavenly divine power, but the question would be to do what? They have divine power, it says to demolish. And that, that word demolish in the Greek, you know what it means? It means to demolish. That's pretty, much, that's pretty much what it means. It means to bring about the demolition of. Does that make you feel better? The complete disintegration of what? Strongholds. Now, don't you feel like you're in church right now? So we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're, 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 talking, about, we're, we're talking about divine power to, to, to fight in a, a war that we can't see. It's happening somewhere out there in the heavenly realm and I've got divine power. What? What is a stronghold? I've, I've been in church. Well, I wasn't in church for a number of years. And it was always funny to me when I came back to hear people use terms. They don't even know what they mean. You know, so sometimes I want to say, what does it mean? You idiot. It means stronghold. It's not a word that we use every day. And it comes from a Greek word that literally means, watch this, fortified prison. That's what the word means. So a stronghold is a fortified prison. So you've been keeping up. <laughs> I'm losing some of you, I can tell. So we're in a battle that's not of this world, but no worries because we have weapons that are not of this world. You can't see them. You can't walk over and pick up one. I mean, you, you can't see it, 
to tear down the walls of the prison that we're in. So you might be thinking, exactly what kind of prison are we in? I mean, once again, I mean, I know I feel like I'm being held captive. I'm in a prison. I just, I just can't, I don't know how to define this prison. <clears throat> how do we use these weapons that I really can't see anyway? Paul says this. He says, we demolish arguments. We, we demolish we bring about the demolition of, the total disintegration of arguments. And that word, that word is a word that means thoughts and ideas. Opinions, reasonings, philosophies, theories, ideologies, and religions. I didn't make this up. I mean, I just did like, you know, a non-traditional kind of guy. Just make that, I didn't make that up. Religion, how many people know that will put you in a prison? Hello, are you with me? It'll put you in a prison and it will destroy you is what it will do. In fact, if you don't believe me, it, religion is what put Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> so it says we, demol we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. So the battlegrounds of mind, and, and some of you go, dude, I've been knowing that the whole time. I mean, I am my own worst enemy. It's the thoughts inside my head that I struggle with every day. And the stronghold is the prison of those thoughts, and those ideas, and those opinions, and those reasonings, or whatever. It's the, the prison that we find ourselves in, the stronghold, it is that, that wrong thought pattern. I'm a prisoner of the thoughts inside my own head. Most of life's battles, and I just said most because maybe there's one that's not. I really wanted to say all of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. It's a battle between God's truth and Satan's lies to you more importantly, about you. <clears throat> That's where the attack for me has been personally. It's been Satan's lies about me. Those thoughts that rattle around in my head. And this is huge because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Do you have worried thoughts or peaceful thoughts? Do you have worried thoughts or peaceful thoughts? How many of you parents would say, I gotta be honest, I worry about raising my kids. It's a crazy world. It's okay, you can raise your hand. Those of you that don't, you, you, you would say, I'm not worried, because worried to be worried would be a sin. I'm concerned. That's your way, that's your loophole, right? You just kind of get around it. I'm just a realist. Jesus doesn't want you to, you know, bury your head in the sand and play like it's not there. I'm not worried, but I am concerned. You're worried. How many, how many of you are worried about what other people think about your children? Anybody willing to raise your hand on that one? <laughs> yeah. 
many of you are worried about the future? I've been watching too much CNN or something, right? And that'll mess you up. You watch the news and go, have mercy, we ain't got long. We probably all going to be dead in just a few days. We're going to turn against ourselves. We don't even have to fight another country. We're, we're, we're angry enough at each other to destroy us. If you're worried about your future, you're probably worried about money. Concerned. And, and if you're concerned about the future and you're concerned about your money, you're probably concerned about your job, right? Because maybe you're thinking, I thought I'd be in a different place. You know, I, I didn't plan on being here at 40 or at 30 or, or at 50. I plan on being somewhere else. So I am concerned, not worried, because I'm spiritual. I'm concerned about my future. I don't know if I'll ever be able to retire. I've got, you've got all those thoughts going through your head. Some of you are concerned about your health. Let's just be honest. You're worried. Maybe you went to the doctor and and they use the C word. And you're scared out of your mind. That's real life. So let me ask you, are you sleeping good at night? Or are you worrying about things that are out of your control? Is your mind characterized by worry or peace? Let me ask you this question. How many of you say that you have a positive mindset or maybe you have a more negative mindset? Let me change that. What would others say that you have? Because <laughs> you're probably, I'm positive. And you got people sitting beside you right now and go, that's a lie. You ain't never had a positive thought in your life. When you look at other people, do you find that really the case most of the time is that you're more negative about other people? Every person you see, there's something wrong with that person, you know? I mean, you live your whole life thinking that everybody's out to get you. Listen, I know what that feels like. I was raised in that house. That everybody was out to get a poor widow woman and her little son, you know? I know what that feels like. And so were you raised with that mentality that you think the whole world maybe is out to get you, that you're critical and negative about people? Do you find fault easily? How about this one? Are you discontented? Are you just discontent? Do you think that life is hard and it's only getting worse? I mean, no kidding, every day you wake up, oh, doom, despair, and agony on me. I saw hee-haw last night. <laughs> it was awesome. And we used to laugh about that, and now it seems to be the case for a lot of people. Deep, dark depression, right? Constant misery. Are you negative in your mindset? Or are you positive? Do you tend to see the best in people and believe that life is generally good? Let me ask you this one. This is, and I'm not talking to non-believers right now. I'm talking to Christians. Do you believe in the goodness of God? Do you believe he's a good God? Do you, believe, do you believe, generally speaking, when you look at God, do you believe that God is crazy about you and that he only wants what's best for you? Do you believe that we serve a good God? I haven't always believed that. My dad died when I was 10 years old of lung cancer. I mean, we, we were left with nothing. I had to go to work. I had to go to work early in life. I had to work for everything I've ever had. Listen, do I think that God was a good, good father? No. I didn't. How about you? Are you generally negative or do you have a more positive mindset? So Paul says this. He says, we demolish, bring about the demolition of, the disintegration of these arguments, these thoughts 
these ideas, these philosophies, these wrong thought patterns in our head and every pretentious pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I hope we got more church people in this crowd because the first crowd, I got two people that, that say they'd ever heard this. How many of you have ever heard the statement, let's take every thought captive? We got a few more. We have more spiritual people here than I thought. I thought the 9 o'clock was a real spiritual crowd. Me and one lady raised our hand. I remember the first time. I remember that everybody else was going, what? Yeah, take every thought captive. I'm not going to lie to you. The first time I heard that, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't want to take it captive. I'm trying to set it free. I'm trying to get the thought out of my head. You people wanting to capture it and put it back in your head. You want to build a prison around it. I want to let it go. So you know what I had to do? I had to study that word. So did this make sense for me? I studied the word. Let me tell you what it means. It comes from this Greek word. and here's, I love this. So if you're like aggressive in a more spiritual way, it means to arrest or to seize with a sword or spear. That's what I'm talking about. How about you, right? I felt good about that. And it so connects with what Paul said in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. And if you're like new to church, he, he talks about the armor of God that we have available to us as we battle these forces of darkness. And if you read Ephesians 6, you'll notice that every piece of the armor is defensive except one. He talks about the, the helmet of salvation. How many people know that you put on a helmet for what? To protect your noggin. That's, I wear a helmet, ride my motorcycle. I don't like it. I don't think I look nearly as cool as I do with a bandana. <laughs> but that bandana will not protect me a lick. The helmet, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what do you put on a breastplate of righteousness for? To protect your heart, those internal organs that if they were to get pierced with the sword, you will die. It is, it is the, the, right, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shoes prepared with the, with the gospel, the readiness of peace. These are all defensive, but there's one. There's one weapon in this list of weapons that is offensive, and it is the sword of the Spirit, which is, for those of you that are new to church, the Word of God. That's awesome. So here's what we do, and this, this stuff started to make sense to me. So what I do is, I, I, is we capture, we stab any lie with the truth of what God's Word says. Now, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. That's how I capture any thought. I stab it. And I like stabbing stuff in, in, in a spiritual way, in a, in a spiritual way. And so I say, I'm not going down this negative road. I am not going down this negative road because the thing of it is, it's a lie. So I got to find the truth. I, I would say that probably the number one thought that held me for hostage for way too many years is simply this. It was the thought, I'm not good enough. Now, I've had to process over the years. I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly, I pray, growing in my relationship with Jesus. And what I would have said at one time, it was, it was, I struggled to accept the love of God. I would always say, you know, how could God love somebody like me? And then, and then you know, started reading the Bible, and I thought, well, God is love. It's his nature. He can't help but love. So God has to love me. But then I would have said, but he doesn't like me a lot. He, he doesn't like me because how could God really like me? He has to love me. He doesn't have a choice. But how could he like me? Because I keep messing up. 
And so I know that I disappoint him a lot. Like every day of my life, I disappoint him. So I know he doesn't like me a lot. And so when I process this, then my next thought would be, and this is, this is huge for me, I would think, how could God ever bless somebody like me? How could he bless me? Now listen, don't, don't misunderstand. This is, I, I'm not a health and wealth guy. I'm not a, prosper, I'm not a prosperity guy. So don't, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm looking for the blessing. I'm looking, I'm looking for a bigger house, a nicer car, newer Harley. Okay, I lied. That, the new Harley, I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, listen, I'm talking about that God could bless me, just bless me with his presence, that I could experience him at the deepest and the sweetest level. If you've ever experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. You know there ain't nothing in this world that compares to the intimacy with your heavenly father. So I would say, how, how, how could God bless somebody like me? I'm a failure. I mean, how? I try to do better. I try to be better. It works for a while. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll make it through Tuesday or Wednesday. But then by the weekend, I'm toast. I mean, I have thoughts I shouldn't have. Y'all are probably real more, a lot more spiritual than I am. But I have thoughts. Somebody cuts me off on the highway. I'm not worried about that person, but I am concerned <laughs> for their safety. <laughs> and I think, I can't, I can't get it right. So how can I ever rest in his forgiveness and find his blessing if I just keep messing up? And you know why this lie is so powerful? It's because there's some truth in it. The truth is, on my own, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. The truth is, I'm not perfect. The truth of it is, on planet Earth, I'm never going to be perfect. But as a follower of Jesus, now if you're not a follower of Jesus, sorry, you're all on your own. I don't have any good news for you. But as a follower of Jesus, the truth is, I am never on my own. God's always with me. His spirit dwells within me. Hebrews 13. Man, I love this. I will never fail you. I, I love the words of this translation. I will never abandon you. You know what I've struggled with my whole life? The fear of abandonment. My dad died when I was 10. Some of the most important people in my life have walked out of my life. I felt abandoned. And then this verse comes along and God says, listen, Scott, stab, stab that lie. Stab it with the truth. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I will be a friend that will stick closer than a brother. Now, you might be thinking, how is that possible? How is it that God could stay with me and never leave me? It's easy. It's because I don't stand in my own righteousness. I stand in his righteousness. I love this verse in Ephesians 1, verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were, you were marked in him with a seal. Other translations say you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within me, and I have been sealed by his spirit. Let me tell you what the word seal is. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It means a finished product. 
That's what the word means. I didn't make that up. And so, and it's an heirs tense word. And, and what that means is, is that you're sealed one time with the Holy Spirit and you couldn't get lost if you wanted to. So it doesn't matter what you do. The Holy Spirit of God has you sealed. Why? Because you don't stand in your righteousness. You stand in the righteousness of Jesus. It's awesome. I am loved and totally forgiven. All my sins have been forgiven. I have his spirit in me, comforting me, guiding me. You like that part, right? Correcting me, convicting me. Yeah. Because he loves me too much to let me go down a path that would lead to my destruction. He says, I love you, so I'm going to get you back on the right path. Because I'm crazy about you. And what I want for you is the best because I'm not going to leave you. Every other people in your life left you. They abandoned you. Not me. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. That's the truth. So to be free, I stabbed alive with the truth. I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be for you. But I'll tell you what I do know. I'll tell you what I've learned. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I can promise you that. If you want to change your life, you've got to change the way you think. If you think you can't, you probably never will. If you believe that you're a victim and you're always suffering at the hand of outside circumstances, I promise you this, you'll always be a victim. You will never have victory. You'll never taste victory. You'll never walk in victory. If you're always dwelling on your problems, guess what? Your problems are going to overwhelm you. They're going to take you out. The mind is a battlefield, and it's a battle between God's truth about you and Satan's lies about you. So we have to constantly be doing a thought audit. This is profound. You can write this down and say, I said it. You've got to always be thinking about what you're thinking about. You heard it right here. That set you free, didn't it? Wow. So let me ask you this question. Would you say, would other people say that you're more worldly-minded or heavenly-minded? So is your thought in your relationship with God what you can get out of God? Because I know people like that. And so they get angry because God don't show up and give them what they want. So they get angry, stamp their angry little feet, and go home. Is it about you or, or, or are you more heavenly minded? Do you see that what God wants to do is he wants to, to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others? Do you have any idea what the rest of the world lives like you don't? If I could, I'd make every single person go to Guatemala. You couldn't even come to church when, if you hadn't gone to Guatemala with us one time. I know, we'd be, there'd be five of us next week. I get that. But listen, here's the thing. To take you to a third world country and for you to be able to see what the rest of the world lives like. And you know the kicker? They're happier than we are. And to realize, you should see the looks on these faces when we give them the keys to a home they never in their wildest dreams thought they would have. It's, it's a block house. No electricity. <laughs> they can't even cut on a fan. They got running water. They got a toilet. I know that doesn't mean a lot to you. You're in a third world country. Let me tell you what. Toilets are sweet. 
I could give you a description, but you don't, you don't want to hear it. So are you more earthly minded or worldly minded or heavenly minded? We have to think about what we're thinking about because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So, those of you that would say, I got to be honest, my thoughts race. I can, I can be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and negative thinking, and yep, it's worry. It's not concern. I'm worried. And I want, I want some pathways to truth. If that's you, and I love this church, and one of the reasons I love this church is because we can be so stinking honest. So if that's you and you'd say, I do, I struggle with thoughts. I'm my own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. And I struggle with the thoughts inside of my own head. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Gosh, I love y'all. Because my hand's up. And I'm learning. That's, so the journey I want to take you on for the next few weeks is to say, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to walk across this stage scared out of your mind. God, will you use me today? Can you use me today? Or have I disqualified myself? I know what it's like to live free. And I want to take you there over the next few weeks. And I just want to pray. If you slipped up your hand, I want to pray for you. Lord, uh, there's, there's a group of people, Lord, that were just gut level honest. And they slipped up their hand. And, and they're just acknowledging they're not just concerned. They're worried. They're, maybe they struggle with fear, anxiety. Lord, they just struggle with life. And Lord, they know that they're their own worst enemy. And the thoughts that are inside their head. Lord, I pray. And over these next few weeks, God, you will so speak to these people, Lord, that they'll learn how to take every thought captive, that they'll learn how to take your word, the truth about what you say about us, and stab that like nasty lie and find victory. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. For some of you, your problem, your prison, honestly, is that you have wrong beliefs about God. Here's the truth. He's crazy about you. And he proved it, by the way. God sent his one and only son for one purpose, to pay the penalty of our sin. The perfect lamb of God. Jesus lived a perfect life to die for our imperfections. It's crazy. He proved his love. He died on a cross and rose again. That's a perfect sacrifice. Why? So that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved, forgiven, transformed. You're not made right with God because of your works. You're made right with Him by God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And those of you this morning that would say, I need Him. You're so right. I've had the wrong concept about God, the wrong thoughts about God. But I'm coming to understand that He loves me. If that's you, and this morning you're ready to trust Him as your Savior and give your life away, then right there in your seat, maybe you just pray a prayer or something like this. It's simple. Maybe you'd say, Heavenly Father, I just, I just want to give you my life. 
coming to understand who you are. And I'm, I'm coming to understand your deep love for me. And, and Jesus proved it. So I want to say thank you. And I know you're alive. I mean, I can feel your presence. I know you're alive. And so right now, I'm just asking you forgive me of my sin. Step into my life. Be my Savior. And then just thank him. Say, wow, God, you're amazing. Father, uh, I do thank you for the power of your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we can be on the offense and we can take the sword, which is the word of God, and use it to stab those lies, Lord, and we can find freedom. We can walk in freedom. We can live in freedom. 